Hi, Jim here. Thanks for listening to this past episode of the Ski Podcast. Since releasing this podcast, we have a new supporter of the show. The Ski Podcast is now supported by Switzerland Tourism. They will be helping us explore some of the 355 ski destinations across the country, from famous names of Samaritz, Lax, Davos and Zermatt, to the lesser-known resorts that cover their mountainous land. We will be reporting on them and telling interesting stories about the people who live and work there. In total, there are 7,067 kilometres of slopes to ski and 1,800 lifts to ride and at least 80 of them are funiculars, which is good because I do love a good funicular. Well, there's a lot to do, so while we get on with that, you can get on with listening to this episode of the Ski Podcast. Thanks, listener, and thanks, Switzerland Tourism. Thank you for downloading the Ski Podcast. This is episode 29. I am Jim D. And also on the mic is the other Peasty Boy, Ian M. Sorry, that was terrible. Um, as you would expect, a cool show like this will have a cool sponsor. And we do. It's the Chill Factory, the Northwest Premier Ski and Snowboard Destination. And they want you to enjoy their slopes so much they're giving all Ski Pod listeners a 10% discount. Just book online and use the code SKIPOD10 at the checkout. And the best bit is you don't even need to be cool to ski there. Whew, I feel a bit, a bit worn out. I've been snow clearing. Um, Ian, on a scale of 1 to 10, how cool are you feeling right now? Uh, well, it's, it's actually sub-zero temperatures in England at the moment. So fairly cool, maybe four. That's pretty good, pretty cool. Uh, I was thinking maybe if I open the door to my office, um, I can let in a bit of snowing outside. I can let a bit of alpine coolness into it, the podcast. How about that? Do it now. See if we can get the noise in. Yeah, I like it. How much did you say you were snow clearing this morning? How much I snow did you clear? About five centimetres. Not very much, but you know, I'll have a fun play on it later on. Five centimetres of, of fresh snow overnight. Okay. And it, it was for, it was forecast none. Okay, but you've got to keep you've got to keep it. Clear. And I am at a thousand right. metres, so who knows what's at the top? Okay. Oh, that's encouraging. Yeah, nice. Um, coming up in today's show, cheese skiing, apres ski, baby skiing, Chamonix, Courchevel, ski servicing, Team GB, ski books, and probably more. Um, first of all, Ian, I need to ask you a question um, in that agony aunt way that I like to do with you. Um, do you think it's acceptable for me to do the school run in my ski kit? Yeah, of course. No one else seems to... Absolutely. Yeah? No one else seems to be doing it. There's um, one dad who... Reggie picks up his childhood snowboard gear. There's a lifty and a ski instructor. But I seem to be the only other person that may do it. Yeah, I mean, it, 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 who knows what the etiquette is? I mean, I guess you're finding out. I, I know that um, there were some schools in the UK a little while ago where um, I think uh, there were some sort of complaints about parents turning up in their pyjamas and dressing gowns to drop their kids off. I think that's probably unacceptable. But if you live in a ski resort, Surely turning up in your ski gear to get maximum time on the mountain makes sense. Yeah, all right, um, I'm going to crack on and do it then. Thanks, Ian. You have smoothed my conscience. <laughs> um, in last uh, episode, number 28 that was, um, we talked initially about um, best value ski resorts and we were inspired or in competition oh, yeah. with Ed Lee and we're going to do that, we're going to kick off with that this week. Okay, we? yeah, sure. Um, do you want to go first? Uh, no, show me what you got, Jim. <laughs> All right, then. So I am going to say, how about, ladies and gentlemen, if you want a value ski resort and you want to go and you want a slightly tight budget, how about trying Pila in Italy? Oh, yeah. um, I went there in the summer. We probably talked about it. 
And I think it's a really good option. Here's why. Um, 212 euros gets you a six day lift pass. And remember in Italy, under eights ski for free. That's a good thing to remember. Um, on Airbnb in Aosta town, which services um, Pilar in the same way, Bridlerban services uh, Maribel. Um, you can get a four-bed apartment from €31 Euros per night on Airbnb. And this I looked at was a mid-February week. You can get Sunday-to-Sunday Sunday flights from London airports for as little £78, and that's with BA. Um, bus from Turin, that's where you're flying to, um, was €12 Euros one way to Aosta. Uh, it's a good skiing, it's a great town, and you can go on day trips to Cormier and Chamonix. Excellent ski record. How about that, Ian? I'm glad I let you go first because I haven't done anywhere near as much research as you have. Um, Peel is great. I've skied there in winter. Um, you know, Aosta is uh, excellent as well. And, you know, Italy is always really good value. Aosta is a really nice town. They've got some Roman ruins down there you can check out as well. And Peel has got decent, decent skiing. So I would say that sounds good. I, I had a slightly different take on it because actually I came across some research that someone else had done. Uh, uh, recently, uh, a French company called Locusum, and they found it, they only looked at France to be fair, but they found the cheapest uh, resorts in France were Chamrus, uh, Puy Saint Vincent, and Les Angles in the uh, in the French Pyrenees. But they then re looked at it, and they were looking at it based on the cost of uh, a week's accommodation, ski rental, and lift pass. Uh, but then they re looked at it in terms of value in terms of euros per kilometres of piste. And if you did it that way round, then Lehman Weir comes out as the winner. So so I would say if you're looking for best value rather than just lowest price, then you know have a look at Lehman Weir. And is that so that's just the Lehman Weir pit yes. lift pass, not yes. the three values yep. lift pass, based right. on Based on just well, it's the you know it's the San Martin, uh, the Belleville Valley. So you, you get you get uh, San Martin all the way up to Valterens included in that. But uh, therefore, you know, by a big ski area on its own, if you wanted to pay more for the three valleys, that's that's not included in their calculation. That would knock it down a bit, but it would probably still work out pretty good. It's about two euros per kilometre or something like that um, for the three valleys pass. I remember doing a sort of survey myself for that. Um, I also, Ian, spoke to other Dave, friend of the SCO, not as much of a friend. Um, it was on one of the first podcasts from um, IfYouSki.com. Oh, yes. He's obviously an expert. Um, and he recommended looking at sales you do. There's low prices for packages. And it's got a cheap lift pass and cheap eating out is reasonable. Uh, and it's obviously um, it got a good massive yeah. ski area. So that's another okay. recommendation. Okay, in the show notes, I'll put a link to the uh, episode he appeared in. I think it was about number three or four. And obviously, he went to Lazark on a day trip. He's trying to ask me to do it again, but that would involve me flying back to the UK to catch the train. <laughs> no. Yeah, the Lazark day trip. Uh, new listeners should have listened to that one. You went out there by, uh, we won't get the whole thing, but went out there by train and back for one day skiing, didn't you? I did indeed. Yeah, in the show notes, have a look at, at theskipodcast.com and you can. Uh, there'll be a link to that episode. Last week, Ian, you were talking about cheese um with um your ski friend ski instructor guy who um makes cheese julian. is it julian that's yep. his name obviously um you told me recently that there's another way i can get my hand on cheese 
Yeah, no, I, I mean, this just appealed to me because it cropped up uh, just afterwards. We were talking about, you know, uh, uh, Juliet in episode uh, 28, who is a ski instructor, but he also is a dairy farmer and milks his cows every day. And the milk goes to make Beaufort, which is the cheese from uh, the, the Beaufortin, Tarentaise and Maurienne Valleys. And I noticed that uh, in uh, the railway station down in Moutier, they put in a self-service uh, Beaufort vending machine. So no longer do you have to worry about being uh, in Moutier uh, out of hours and not being able to pop along to the to the local shop and buy yourself some Beaufort. You can now uh, get it from a cheese vending machine 24 hours a day. Well, that queue in Borg Summaries in the in the Beaufort <laughs> shop is always huge, so that is a handy thing to know. And um, there's also Ian, there's a, a pizza vending machine in Bozell. Don't know if you never spotted that one. For real? For real? Well, it was there ten years ago. May have may have broken since. And then up the road from where I live here, um, there was there is a um, bread or pan vending machine which I discovered on my walk back from the Clouser about two o'clock in the morning one night with a friend of mine what fresh bread is it next to the laundry I did it did not oh, taste right, fresh okay. and I, hope I was I wasn't going to be the best judge of it at that point okay okay um also there's loads of stuff coming back from last week's podcast it's like it's like we're growing a network <laughs> in um so Shemi Colcott has had a baby. Uh, yeah, well, we uh, covered, uh, that was in episode 28, wasn't it? Where she was talking about, you know, skiing after uh, pregnancy. And uh, yeah, congratulations, Shemi. Her new son um, was born. He's called Cooper. Um, I think she was a bit overdue. He was induced, but there you go. Now she's going to be able to, uh, well, apparently she's going to be getting back to work pretty quickly because she you know works in skiing and it's the middle of the ski season so uh, anyway congratulations chemin if you want to find out what she thinks about skiing after pregnancy or during pregnancy and after uh, you've had a child listen to episode 28 do you think he's a future dancing on ice contestant <laughs> well given that both of his parents uh, skied downhill for great britain uh, both him and his brother uh, Lockie, I imagine they'll be they'll be skiing down the track. Definitely. Um, how was your trip to? Um, where did you go? Chamonix or Courchevel? I went to both. I, both, I went to both. Um, yeah, it was a, it was an excellent trip. I probably tried to pack in a little too much. I was I was working, but the highlight in Courchevel. Of course you did it. Ian, you sent me your itinerary. You're the only person I know who schedules runs in <laughs> to their spreadsheet timetable. <laughs> well, you've got me organised, haven't you? Um, but the highlight in Courchevel was I was doing a bit of ski touring because I'm, I'm away on a ski touring trip um, in, well next week and I wanted to get a bit of practice in. And I can't remember who it was now, but someone asked us if we did more, if we should cover more ski touring in the, uh, in the pod. But I did this race where you go from um, courchevel le Pra up to Courchevel 1850. They do it every Wednesday evening. It's called the Millet Ski Touring Race. Uh, plus seven euros to uh, enter <laughs> and I thought well this will be good practice I'll go along uh, and and do this and I had done it once before but when I did it it was a hundredth edition uh, of the race and everyone was in fancy dress and there were people dressed up as where's Wally and there were a bunch of people pulling up a, a life raft and stuff whereas when I went along this time it was only the, <laughs> the serious people and I turned up and you turned up in fancy I dress unfortunately <laughs> I didn't have my fancy dress, but I was definitely comical because I turned up late 
you know, I couldn't work, I couldn't get my uh, skins under skis, I couldn't clip in, and they were saying, oh, it's time to start, because I didn't realise that, um, you know, they start off all the kind of novices uh, earlier, and I made the mistake of saying I'd done the race once before as well, so I didn't even go first. So I missed my start spot. So by the time I started, I was all the good people were going, and they're literally running up the bloody mountain. Um, however, it was a beautiful evening. You know, the uh, uh, the moon was out. It was, it was I didn't have a head torch. <laughs> Loads of things I forgot, but you know, it, it was lovely going up through the mountains and, and pretty good exercise. Five hundred and twenty-five meters vertical ascent in the end, and um, you know, I really enjoyed taking part. So if you want to. If anyone's going out to the Three Valleys, Courchevel in particular, and fancies a, a bit of cross training, get some touring skis and boots for the day and, and get down to uh, Le Prat for a 6.20 start. And then it was quite nice afterwards. You got to ski down from 1850 back to Le Prat, just, just skiing down, um, you know, with no one around on the piece. It's exciting. Yeah, it's good. I'd like to do yeah. Well, there are loads of these ski touring races all over the place. You know, their resorts are, have added in so many of, of these sort of things in, in recent years. So have a look. I'm sure they exist uh, in uh, in La Cluzara or Grand Bonard. Uh, well, they had the absolute opposite on pretty much the same night here in La Cluzara. They had their, their full moon party. Ah, OK. That, that relates they to open the lifts. War and Peace the ski book review later as well. But go on. They open the lifts and the piste, there's one, till 1am. And all the restaurants on the way down have separate little parties and stuff like that going on. So you spend your time and then you get off the lift, you're greeted by big brass bands. Um, it sounds incredibly dangerous. So you didn't go along and try it then? Um, I unfortunately couldn't that evening. So um, they do do it, I think, three times a year. So there is another one. I will okay. attend to that one. When it's well, they only have three... Full moons a year in Lacluza during the season. Surely have, well, probably three in the one season. Every month, January, okay. February, March. Okay. Right. January, okay. February, March. Maybe they do it in right. February. Okay. Yeah. Well, um, yeah, that would be that be you know worth going along to. Certainly, um, I don't know if you saw the, the the blood moon. It was the blood moon this week as well, wasn't it? So particularly bright. Um, oh, I bumped into Vanessa the other day. Vanessa, who's been yeah. on our show at least uh, twice, I'll put the link in the show notes. Yeah, are we going for the world record yeah. um, callback to other shows? Yeah, ever? absolutely. But Vanessa did um, the the triple crown. Where, uh, I can't remember what it's called. The uh, three downhill races that includes the uh, Inferno. I think she's the only super dry. The super dry. There you go. Not the clothing line, but the super three. The super dry. We'll put a link to that. Um, and what we, you just bumped into her, she just happened to be out in La Cluza. Yep, uh, we're in a little restaurant and in the, at the morning she popped in for a coffee, I was about to leave, we said hello. Well that's a mountain for She me. commented that I was still wearing the same shirt that I was wearing <laughs> last Right, uh, that's a mountain. So when I was in Chamonix, I was uh, I was checking out the new Folly Deuce uh, hotel in Chamonix. And I bumped into a friend of mine who I hadn't seen uh, for years uh, in there who was going with his wife and his daughter down to the the kind of the clubbing area where it, um, in the Folly Deuce they they do their show. You know, obviously all the other Folly Deuces are outside, um, but this one is indoors in, uh, in Chamonix. I don't know if that is obvious, but uh, it's a hotel and it's not up on the mountain. So they do their show between 5 and 10 instead of between 12 and 5. 
And he was going down there, you know, with his wife and daughter. His daughter's five, and she had these massive ear defenders on because uh, it is so loud down there. It's unbelievable. You know, obviously, I'm far too old to uh, to appreciate it properly, but I could have done with some of those ear defenders as well. Um, did you speak to any young people, Ian, who gave you some honest <laughs> feedback about the enjoyment of it? Uh, no, I went to bed far too early to speak to any young people. Uh, but I did see lots of young people enjoying themselves. And do you think, did it take the spirit of everything? Does it seem like it's a good follow-on from the other projects they've done? Um, you, it, the hotel is great. Um, but uh, the hotel's great, but... Uh, but um, the um, doing it indoors is very different. I, it, it, yeah, the the cabaret show was excellent, but I'm not entirely sure if it's going to. If, it just doesn't have that same feeling to me, that same vibe. But you know, give it give it time. It can work. Now, um, a minute ago you talked about you were in Courchevel. I've got a question here. Um, do the Brits still go to Courchevel? Uh, yeah. I mean, I know yeah. lots of lots of I was staying in 1650, and uh, there are a lot of Brits in 1650. And in fact, one of the bits of work I was doing while I was out there was just, you know, looking at the differences between 1850 and 1650. You know, w- would you really go to? Uh, can you afford to go to 1850 these days? You know, back in the day, there were lots of club hotels, etc. There, but. Um, you know, 1650 is full of chalets, and there are you know there are a lot of British people there. So it's moved down the hill because there was a lot of chalet companies in 1650 and 1550 when when we were doing seasons back then, Ian. And you always thought, oh, that's a bit silly. Why aren't you up in 1850? But now, for um, sure, yeah. And uh, I guess that um, we should mention at this stage, obviously, the fire that happened uh, last week, or maybe even at the weekend. Uh, in Courchevel 1850, that that building was housing seasonal workers. But I, I think I'm right in saying that that, that used to be uh, a Skival club hotel called the. I think it was Skival. It was the Isba, wasn't it? Yeah, the Isba. Um, you know, they basically couldn't. It's interesting to me that they couldn't afford to uh, uh, to be there anymore. I think the accommodation where, unfortunately, the fatalities occurred was above a Chanel shop. Yep, you're right. It's yeah, all quite sad. So, and it happens. It does happen. I mean, we don't report every time that these fires and things like that happen, but it is it is something that occurs quite frequently throughout the Alps, don't you feel? Uh, well, I don't know. Are you referring to, for example, the um, you know when the Grand Monte uh, caught on fire in the summer and you know lift stations and things? Because all of those were kind of empty buildings. I kind of always feel there's at least one story about a chalet that has caught a light during okay. the winter. Okay, chalets, yeah. Well, I guess maybe this is a consequence of having a lot of buildings that are predominantly made of wood. Although it does seem in this instance that there might be question marks as to whether or not uh, they had the you know, appropriate uh, fire prevention um, elements in place. So, Ian, I've recorded, I recorded a three-minute guide to skiing in the Clouser for us. I am currently stood knee-deep in powder in the middle of the Aravis range. I was going to bring this report to you from the top of the Balm area, the part of the Clues are made famous by Caddy DeVoe, but instead I'm in the car park area of the chalet where I live, about to clear snow off my van for the fourth time in seven days. 
Um, Lecluse is just a one-hour transfer from Geneva and as such is a popular destination for weekend skiers from people living in the lake or in the city of Geneva, as well as nearby Annecy. This can make for some congested roads at peak times. In fact, roads and parking are a little bit of a downside to the town, but once you find your parking spot uh, and got here, then there is a decent bus network to help you get from your accommodation to the slopes. There is a range of accommodation to choose from, with uh, the majority of the options being hotels and self-catering. There are only two companies offering the traditional chalet experience favoured by many Brits. Uh, a six-day Lecluse lift pass will cost you €205, Euros, and for that you'll get 125 kilometres of each uh, piste. The maximum height is 2,600 2, metres, with a huge vertical descent, the maximum being 1,600 metres. Despite its reputation, there are some very long runs here. Um, the terrain is quite challenging, but for one reason, it's very good for beginners here. And that's because the lift passes, you can essentially buy a lift pass from pretty much every single lift. So if you want to practice on one tow rope, you can go to that tow rope uh, and you can pay eight euros and you can use it for the entire day. Or if you want to go a bit higher, you can buy just a, a pass for that particular cable car and that'll take you up and you can just do that run um, if you're a beginner. So that's really good for you. Um, it says on the website that the lifts are state-of-the-art, which I'm going to say is not quite the case. There are a few quite antiquated two-man chairlifts with, you know, the ones that whip around and crack the back of your legs. Um, but there are some newer ones coming, and it seems to me like they're investing a lot more than they have done in the past. Quick note on traffic. Um, it can be quite a busy place. Um, it's a, a huge bottleneck into the town. But I've discovered that that doesn't relate to how busy it is on the slopes. I think a lot of people go um, doing cross-country or ski deformed. Um, so once you get past the traffic and you get onto the slopes, it's a very empty ski area, which is wonderful. Um, once there is good ski co uh, snow cover in the area, there is some incredible skiing, so don't ever be put off by that traffic thing. Um, there's the Le Balm area, which is the highest point, um, as I said, made famous by Caddy Tavo's headcam videos. Um, a really good little ski area on its own, in its own right. There's plenty of reds and challenging blues, great off-piste, and some secret areas as well for you to discover. There's uh, La Aguille, the main area out of um, Le Clouse, Courchevel, obsessed, um, Le Clouse, which has um, the majority of the modern ski facilities and um, it's a place where you can get a bit more of an après ski vibe on the slopes. There is Letal. That is the secret area that no one goes to who comes on holiday here. It's a place where locals go to ski and after some fresh snow there is plenty of untracked powder to be had. Um, some really well looked after slopes. The trouble with it is, is it does close earlier in the season because it's really south facing. There is the Manigod area, a ski area in its own right, so you can just buy a pass for the Manigod area. Um, it is a collection of drags and um, oldish chairs, uh, but it is great fun there. The piece are really um, wide and good to play on, and it's a perfect area for beginners to enjoy. And finally, there's the Beauregard area. It has some incredible runs when the snow is fresh, and you can run right back into resort. At the top, you'll find a fun little border cross to play on, as well as a selection of short tow ropes where you can practice and buy individual runs throughout the day. 
Um, in terms of Apreski, there's the Lyon d'Or in the centre of Le Courcheval, um, Le Courcheval again, um, Le Cluse. Um And there's a selection of nightclubs for later in the evening. I haven't really experienced them too much, but I don't think it's uh, anything kind of patch on other resorts that are famous for that Apreski. Back to me and Ian. There we go. So that's a quick three-minute guide to skiing in the Clouser, um, where I am. I'm going to do the Grand Bornard for next week, which is just down the road. And it's a surprisingly good ski area for people who've never heard of it. Yeah, no, excellent. I've uh, I've only skied there once, but it was, it was really good. Um, cool. Right, so if you want to get in touch with the show, you can. Um, you can tweet us at the ski podcast, email jim at the ski podcast.com or ian at the ski podcast.com. You can go to our website, the ski podcast.com, or you can find us on Facebook, Ian on Twitter at skipedia, or you can find me on Instagram at the average skier. Please do get in with the show. Right, Ian, who have you been talking to? Aha, uh-huh. well, while I was out in Courchevel, uh, Eddie the Eagle was out there. He was uh, doing a bit of work with uh, Ski Weekends. He was uh, being a host on a trip there and actually raising some money for Ski for Cancer. And I uh, had the opportunity to, to catch up with him and I asked him about the movie, the Eddie the Eagle so movie. we talked before about why you're here in, in Courchevel. And uh, you said that you were watching the movie with the people here who are on holiday. Yeah, we have a movie and, night. A movie night. <laughs> a movie and night. there's only one choice. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> has to be, has to be no that. No popcorn. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> it feels like there's been, you know, since the movie has come out, there's been a real kind of renaissance. Uh, but it took such a long time for that movie to come together. Because if I'm right, I remember meeting a chap called Simon Kelton back in about 1999. And he told me that he had this idea to make a movie about your your life and that journey. Is yeah. that right? It is, more or less, almost. Um, I was approached by a production company in L.A. in 1999. They wanted to make a movie about my life. And then, um, then they got Sam and Kelton to come to my house in Cheltenham. And um, we sat down, went through my life story in fine detail, and then they came up with a script. They've tweaked the script over a number of times, uh, and they got different people to play me at different times, and the project kept stalling, and then eventually... Uh, after doing a TV show called Splash about five years ago. Okay, I remember Splash. That's the one where amateurs got to do high board diving, diving right? With, with Tom Daly. Yeah. That's right. And uh, I won that series, and Dexter Fletcher saw me perform, thought there must be a story there. And then he'd heard that I signed these movie rights some 15, 20 years before. Yeah. And he got Matthew Vaughan to buy the rights, and then they got straight on with it. So it has been a long, long time A coming. long journey, because therefore the long. movie came out in 2015. 2016. 2016. Yeah. Okay, so 2016. <laughs> 27, 28 years after Calgary, yeah. the Calgary Olympics. Because yeah. on the off chance that there isn't someone listening to this podcast who doesn't actually know, you competed in the uh, in the 1988 Calgary Olympics in the ski jump. Didn't That's you? right. And, and, you know, 30, nearly almost 31 years ago. Um, and I never thought they would ever make a movie about my life. And then when they made Cool Runnings about the Jamaican yeah. boxer team, that was the same Olympics. I thought, well, they'll never make another movie about the same Olympics. And as I say, 1999, um, over well, 20 years ago, yeah. they, um, they decided to decide to um, you know actually talk about a movie, and then it took a long, long time to uh, to come to fruition. But I'm glad it did in the end. Yeah, and I mean, did you did you think, oh, this is never going to happen? This film at times. Well, I just got on with the rest of my life, really, because I when I signed that deal, I was just about uh, I was I'd moved to Leicester, and I was just about to start my law degree. So I done my law degree. 
uh, over the three years that I met my um, my girlfriend and then we got married, had children, um, and I just got on with the rest of my life. I did my plastering, I did a bit of skiing, a little bit of promotional work, a little bit of speaking every once yeah. in a while, um, but was quite happy. And then doing the odd TV show, and then I did that splash show, and um, and then eventually that led to the film. So and, yeah. and I take it since the movie has come out, you know, Things have changed for oh, you. <laughs> word. It's been it's like Calgary all over again. Right. Um, now I'm travelling all over the world doing talks. I speak at conferences and dinners and conventions and things like that. Um, I still do as much skiing as I can whenever I can. Yeah. I speak on cruises. I do uh, I do work for about five different cruise liners. So I, I go on in fact I was on two cruises before I came out here. So I've okay. been away since just before or just after Christmas. Right. I did two cruises back to back and then I, I've come here. So I'm 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 glad. You know, away to be going home next week so I can just you know unpack and wash my clothes and and just stay home for a little while great so you've been uh, you know uh, really busy in relation to the film itself uh, I think I read somewhere that Taron Egerton kind of met you beforehand and and you were actually quite impressed with his portrayal in terms of oh. how he picked up your mannerisms and things absolutely because Taron wanted to get an idea of my accent and my mannerisms. And so I, I went down to Pinewood Studios, met him there, sat with him for a good after, old afternoon, early evening, um, drinking tea and eating biscuits and cake and just having chat. Um, and uh, and he, he picked up my accent, my mannerisms and everything. And he must have watched a lot of video yeah. from the Olympic Games because everything I did at Calgary, he did in the movie. Um, and he did an amazing job. And I couldn't believe how much he looked like I look 30 years ago. <laughs> he had the jaw, the moustache, the glasses, the hair, and he sounded and acted just like me. And it was, yeah. it was unreal. And then I was invited out on set in Garmisch where they did a lot of the yeah. filming. And I walked out on set and my jaw just dropped when, when Taron turned around and he looked just like me. I went, oh my God. And then of course Hugh Jackman as well. And he turned around and he said, Eddie, I want a <laughs> selfie. And he came rushing over and I thought, oh my God, this guy, this, this movie superstar. Yeah, I went to do a selfie, and so it was really nice, really nice guy. That, that's great. Although, uh, I mean, my kids love that movie. Yeah. We must have watched it four times, I would yeah. say, uh, ourselves already. It appeals to everyone. Obviously, yeah. Hugh Jackman's uh, quite an appealing character oh, yes, for yes. Uh, everyone like as well. I believe that sadly there was no kind of Hugh, you know, in reality, when you were training for the Winter Olympics, there was no Hugh Jackman character like that well, playing no, a part in your life because I. Over the 22 months that I started ski jumping and then got to Calgary, I had probably around 22 to 25 coaches, but they couldn't put all those coaches in the film because otherwise the film could have been four hours long. Yeah. So they decided to take elements from all my coaches okay. and put them into one character. That was the easiest way to tell the story. And, and, and some of my coaches were more interesting than others. They ranged from 18 years old to 88 years old. Yeah. And, and some had different issues and they wanted all those issues um, from all those different characters. But they put them onto one. Okay. Onto one Interesting. One, did one did any of them ever get uh, uh, encourage you to think about Bo Derek? <laughs> <laughs> um, not really. We didn't really do it in that kind of uh, uh, a way. That was really good. The way they kind of did it. That that jumping paradox. Yeah. Because um, it, it was very. It was a, It was quite a nice way to actually explain in a simple way. You know, basically what ski jumping is all about. So uh, so that, that that's where some of the artistic license comes in. Um, 
And um, but what they did put in the film because it's only it only represents probably about 25-30% of my life as a ski jumper. Right. And there was so much more that they could have put in, but um, they just took specific things and, uh, yeah. and but what they did use they did very very well. Yeah. I was, well, uh, I was I, very very pleased with it. Yeah, I'm with you with that. I thought it was a, a brilliant movie. I've got a confession, Ian. Don't tell watched, me. You I've never it. watched it. You are joking. Uh, yeah. How old are your kids? Um, three, four, and six. Four and six. Yeah. Okay. Uh, well, what, what happens? Watched... What happens in it? <laughs> I've watched it four times, <laughs> uh, and it's it's great. Um, very entertaining. You know, a real feel good movie, and I would recommend it to uh, everyone. There's a couple of uh, things in it. Yeah. I mean, you know, I'd, probably not suitable for your kids, but yeah, watch it yourself. Yeah. What happens? You know. Yeah. He wins a gold medal. Like in, no, he doesn't at all. It, it's really good. It's it, it, um, you know, it's a fish, fictionalized version of his life, but most of what happens in there is true. Um, and this sure. is though, Ian. His story is personally what I think snow sports, GB, or whatever they call themselves these days, should be spending their money on. You know, people who well, want to very, have that very dream. interesting. If Brian from the 24-hour garage wants to get a gold medal, Ian, let's help him realise that dream. Okay, but you're saying that, you know, kind of as a joke, but we've got another interview coming up next week where I talk to him about, you know, Snow Sport GB, because for a while we've been talking about uh, ski jumping and uh, they're actually taking Eddie the Eagle seriously now. So we'll we'll save that one for uh, episode uh, 30 and people can come back and we talk about, you know, Snow Sport GB and that side of things. Uh, one last little statistic that I found out about Eddie the Eagle, which I'm really um, pleased about. Um, did you know that he has the, he was the amateur fastest ever speed skier? No. Um, you know that sport they do where they wear the, the lycra and, and the helmets yeah. and they tuck with the big skis down like, uh, well, they don't do it in the Zark anymore, they do it in lots of other places. So yeah, he, was, he had a, the amateur speed ski record. Oh right, so he's not anymore, but he was. Um, that has slipped my mind particularly. Yeah, there's a guy detail. called Jan, Jan Farrell. I think. Jan Farrell, yeah. yeah. He's uh, the British yeah. contender. Yeah. He's but a very okay. nice chap. Oh. I've interviewed him. Hey, I've got, an old, I've got an old interview with him. I could dig that out. Yeah, excellent. Send us a link for the uh, Eddie one. I'll put it in the show notes. Yeah, it's called um, Wikipedia forward slash Eddie the Eagle. Mm, well, you know, he is a Wikipedia for him. I did look at that. <laughs> But he is—he's um, a very nice man, very modest, despite the fact that uh, you know he's currently going through this renaissance where he's just incredibly busy right now. And uh, you know, very, very nice chap. Um, it's non-stop interviews today and callbacks. Um, I've got an interview right now with an apre ski yes. artist, and also so I'm going to play I one of his tunes. But I never cheated. It wasn't right, but it was not evil I was just fooling around I hit the text, cause I knew how you'd perceive them I've no regrets, other than I concealed them from you Oh, and I had no reason Maybe I should have told her Oh, something about you Oh, something about you oh, good. 
So I'm talking to um, Paddy James. Uh, he's a musician, and I'm going to say at play ski artist for the sake of this particular podcast. I don't want to um, shoebox you into anything, mate. So I'm just going to say, <laughs> okay. um, welcome to the podcast. Thanks for coming along. I hey. You're in France at the moment. Yeah, no worries. Thank you for having me. Right. Um, yeah. <laughs> Let's talk about your music. Um, I've been listening to it um, all morning and a bit last night. Um, I'm going to say, okay. this is, I'm going to say I really enjoyed it, um, but that's it. Okay. That's all I'm going to say because I'm not a professional music critic. So, well, okay. <laughs> well, leave that there. And what I will say is I'm going to add it to my playlist. I've, I've really enjoyed it. So, okay. Um, okay, super. Thank you very much. Um, you described <laughs> it on your, um, on your website as um, eloquent indie folk pop recounting the mischief and melancholy of everyday life is that a fair is that yeah fair? tell us a bit well, more that's, tell that's us more about kind it kind of what it is well it's it's sort of evolving that's the whole thing with being a songwriter you kind of as you as you write and you grow and your viewpoints change i think music always evolves with you there is an apres ski um i said the, um, the the ski crowd i think it's quite a varied age range so it's you know trying to keep a as big a repertoire as possible from old old rock and roll you know up to modern day bangers you just have to try and just just yeah just know as much as possible I think is the key in the album and then know which ones of your own songs will fit within you know if you've got them and try and get them involved I think that's that's the way I approach it anyway. And as an artist, is you love that right? You just love performing and being part of that that scene it's not something for you to go oh i just want to play my own stuff you you just love performing right oh yeah yeah no i mean the the beauty of the apres ski thing for me and you know i'm so lucky to have the apres ski bands guys you know working with them because i can work solid for the winter i get to ski every day if i want to um and i get i, I gig most days as well but it frees me up then so i can you know, rather than putting on a suit and working in an office nine to five, I don't have to do that because I, I earn my living in the mountains. And then I have the rest of the year I can write and record and then push out my original stuff. So it's, it's finding a balance, but it's a lifestyle choice. Most people that would agree that people live in the mountains, it's, you know, it's, I don't, I don't, I've, I've had the nine to five office job, you know, and I, and I could have happily continued it, but music, being able to do music, and the mountains together it just happened to work out for me and you know life life's good so i mean talking about yeah. this work-life balance and stuff i know that you trained to be uh, a ski instructor as well is that right yeah i did i did i actually did it quite a long time ago now um but i went over to canada for four months and i did my level one and two um the canadian uh skiing so i think it's up to intermediate level and it's great it set me up you know and now i can yeah, you know, it gave me the skills to be able to do it. Um, but obviously music music managed to usurp it and then I can just ski for pleasure now, so I don't have to worry about teaching people. But I do I, you know, my um you know, I teach family and friends when they come and visit. So mm. I still I'm still able to use it as and when. I love the fact great. that I love the fact that, you know, um, being a musician is quite wistful and, you know, it's a lovely thing to go and do. And then your backup plan was <laughs> a ski instructor. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, you know. I mean, most people's backup plan is Tesco's or something like that. What's the best venue in the Alps to play? Oh, the best venue. There's, so, I don't know, it's it's a tough one. 
because the first time I played with the trio as a band last year, um, we played at Coco Rico's in Valdez. Oh yeah, cool place. Which is which is really good fun, a good atmosphere. And then solo gigs I have down at Lamine in La Plan, which is pretty good fun. Um, but is there a favorite? I don't know. I just I think I just love most of them to be honest. They all they all have their own little quirks and wherever wherever you can get the people part in most. Thank you very much for taking time to to speak to us. Really appreciate it. Um, hey, not a problem. Yeah. And um, a big thanks to uh, Apre Ski Bands. They're the guys that you um, gig with. They sort out your gigs. They organise loads of great stuff in the Alps and they set up this interview. So thanks yeah. to them as well. Nice to have a bit of music on the podcast, hey, and nice to find out, you know, the, what it's like to be an Apreski artist and not just um, assume that it's the best job in the world. I mean, it sounded pretty good. Ian, what song have you got that you think of what that epitomises Apreski for you? What is your your Apreski song that you go that is takes me back? Um, I really enjoy is it. Four seasons in one day. Uh, who's that by? You know the one I mean? I'm thinking... Um, Crowded House. Four seasons in in one day. There was... uh, I can't even remember who it was, but uh, they sang... It was in Courcheval in the 90s somewhere, and, uh, you know, really, really, you know, enjoyed that a lot. And then the other one I really like is um, Sympathy for the Devil, um, which was... I can't remember their name. He's playing Monterey a lot. You know, the Rolling Stones number. They did a brilliant Um, version of that as well. um, For me, it has to be um, Take Me Out by Franz Ferdinand. Well, not or not by Franz Ferdinand, as the case may be. But yeah, I think pretty much every Apres ski band is legally obliged (laughs) to do a cover of Take Me Out by Franz Ferdinand. Yeah, I mean, we've mentioned the feeling before. Uh, I'll put it in the show notes when we... uh, discuss them but they they uh, made um, video killed the radio star their standout number everyone you know when it was a feat, when it was a superfly gig everyone was waiting for that you are listening to the ski podcast sponsored by the chill factory the northwest premier ski and snowboard center um, go to the show notes and find out how you can get 10% off your next ski there. Here we go. It's, re- two, it's review time, or, Ian, as I think it should be called this week, the reviews and letters section. Okay. Because um, over the last few weeks, we've got quite a few reviews, which is nice. Um, why should people review us, actually, Ian? Give us, why is that? It just helps other people find us, you know, believe it or not. People are kind of searching around the internet looking for podcasts about skiing and they might not find us. But if you uh, give us some reviews, particularly on iTunes, it kind of pushes us up the top of the list. Oh, it's not a vanity reason. <laughs> no, <laughs> no, it's, uh, it's, a help. it's purely altruistic to help other people find us. 
brilliant stuff. So um, I got an, or I, we, we got an email from a guy called James Vale. Um, and, you know, he's basically written a segment for us here, Ian. It says, if like me, uh, Ski Sunday and the Alpine World Tour just doesn't do it for you like it did in the 80s, might suggest you check out the Free Wide World Tour if you haven't already. It consists of five men and women skiing and snowboarding, free ride events. Oh, um, it consists of five free ride events every season. Um, it starts in mid-January, so it's already started. The first one was in Japan. Um, this is me ad-libbing now. Um, the competitor, uh, competitors ski and board from the peak of ridiculous mountains to the bottom, but rather than be judged on time, they are judged on difficulty of lying control, fluidity, temper- uh, technique and jumps. High score wins. Basically, it's mental, he said. Um, Ian, have you watched this? Yeah, I've been out to Chamonix when uh, they don't hold... Chamonix's not on the uh, tour anymore, but I've been out to Chamonix to watch uh, the Free Ride World Tour before. And, uh, yeah, I mean, it's amazing to watch it on TV, but when you see it when you see it live, uh, particularly watching them get up there, because when I saw this, they basically had to walk up there themselves. There was no helicopter taking them to the top. There was no lift to where they were starting their, their ski from. Uh, and, yeah, you know, these guys are amazing skiers. I like it because it's um it's free to watch. You can watch it on their website freeworldtour.com. Um also I think there's um feeds on Facebook um and YouTube as well you can watch. I know I've been sucked in many times thinking, I'll oh, just watch the start and then there's five hours of my life gone and no work achieved. <laughs> yeah. Um so thank you very much, James, for getting in touch with the show and um, everyone else to check out the Free World Tour if you haven't. Um he says he wants some stickers, they're in the post, my friends. And he also wants to point out that he doesn't actually work for the Free Wide World Tour. <laughs> right, OK. What have you got, Ian? Uh, well, we got, um, I think this is an email from uh, from Jack Berry. He says, well, right up to date with the Ski Podcast, episode number 27. And I have to say, I've really enjoyed the conversations between Jim and yourself. I listened to them while walking our two Springer Spaniels. And as you appreciate, they need lots of exercise. So I think he's saying we need to do you know, more podcasts uh, so he's got enough to listen to while he's walking the dogs keep up the good work it brings a ray of sunshine to those of us stuck in dreary england while we're dreaming of the hills and the fresh air so uh, thanks for that jack we'll do our best thanks jack um i've got um a bit of a sad letter um i mean no obviously no one sends us letters but um hmm. uh it's from lucy friend of the famous dave burrows no less um she says oh, yeah. she listens to the podcast regularly from switzerland but please, could you talk about the importance of checking your bindings? Um, one of our friends incurred a serious injury last week. This was due to a binding issue caused, causing serious knee damage as the boot was not released from the ski when she took a tumble. Please, could you remind skiers how important it is to get their bindings and skis professionally fitted for themselves and their children so that they are safe on the slopes? Any ski shop will fit accordingly to the correct boot size and will adjust the DIN setting useful setting in brackets she says um, according to your weight height and skiing ability it is of vital importance that the ski and boots you and your children are skiing are set up correctly um, thanks for uh, the podcast keep up the good work um, please send me some stickers um, I'll put them on all our helmets so yeah stickers are in the post to you as well Lucy and thanks for that advice everyone it is a sensible thing to check ever had problems with that Ian? Uh... I mean, I completely agree with Lucy that you should uh, get them, uh, get your DIN settings and get your boots fitted uh, kind of professionally. Having said that, I've obviously done it myself a few times. In fact, I skied in Lake Contamine the other day and I borrowed a friend's skis and I just did the setting uh, myself. 
so uh, probably <laughs> I'm therefore undermining what I've just said. But um, hey, but yeah. I would say you'd have a fair amount of experience. You're not um, an idiot. Well, in this yeah, situation. I guess so. I guess so. Um, but yeah. Um, I think it's if you don't know what you're doing, don't do it. Yeah, better to err on the side of caution and to uh, put your din setting too low than to ramp it up too high. Uh, next, in, next review. Oh yeah, okay. So we've got another one. This uh, is it might be another email from uh, from Jim, uh, but it's not you. Albert, unless you change your surname to Carlos, or uh, this is this is. But anyway, Jim says. I really enjoy your podcast, uh, but he does say I struggle with the low volume. And so, yeah, well, we've taken that on and we're not going to shout, but uh, hopefully it'll be uh, resolved. And he says, keep up the good work. Thanks a lot, Jim. Yeah, thanks, Jim. Um, I've um, actually been getting some uh, advice from a few other people about uh, editing it, and I've got a new technique, so the volume should be better this time. Let us know, please. <laughs> And one uh, more there's one you? last, yeah, there's one last one, Ian. Um, it comes from at Glen Shee Ski Hire. Um, I, I'm glad I read that properly because when I first looked at it, I thought it says Glen Shee Skip Hire. Um, <laughs> it says, hi, guys, we discovered the ski podcast while we're setting up for our annual X-Hire sale and got us through two days of setup. If you ever need any input from an independent ski company in Scotland, just get in touch. And they tagged um, the um, very informative at Skipedia in that. So thanks, guys. Um, I nearly did a Scottish accent then. Glad I didn't. But we would like some input from an independent ski company in Scotland. So we'll try and line that up. Brilliant stuff. Um, yeah, please do get in touch with the show um, in the usual way. You can find that all out on our website at theskipodcast.com. So um, I've been finding out how to service skis in because I've obviously got quite a few of them. And I started by chatting to Simon from waxoff.fr. Um, he's based in Morzine and he has told me what I need to buy. So I've got a bench. I've got, I've got a space. Great. So what you'll need is something to hold the skis. So a set of vices. Um, and there's there's a few different vices around. Um, there's snowboard specific ones. There's ones that are just designed for um, yeah the occasional usage. And there's ones that are all the way up to sort of World Cup and fat skis and things like that. Um, the ones I recommend um, tend to be called sort of World Cup ski uh, vices, um, and it means they've got a bit a piece at each end to hold the ski, and then also a clamp in the middle that stops it wobbling around. Um, if you don't get the one with a clamp in the middle then it's really annoying scraping your skis because the skis just move around and it just takes forever. Okay. Um, that will be the biggest purchase of all of it. Um, they're quite expensive. They'll be around 150 euros, pounds. It's kind of similar these days, um, to be honest. And if I wasn't going to do that, can I just do some elastic bands or something? Um, no. No. <laughs> no. I've seen people try and build them out of um, sort of blocks of wood and some rubber matting and things like that. Um, it never really works that well. If you're only doing one pair of skis once a week, maybe, or once every two weeks, then I'd say, yeah, maybe go for it. But you've got four pairs to do. And uh, I'm guessing you want to spend some time skiing and some time with your family rather than every evening in the uh, in the garage servicing skis. Okay, so a good pair of vices. That's um, interesting. I didn't think that was going to be the most important purchase, but um, that's they why I'm They will last you forever. You will never need another set. Okay. Um, 
they'll get covered in wax, but they'll still work. Uh, next, you're going to need to do your edges. So you'll need a guide for your edges. Um, I recommend getting one around 88 degrees, I would say, um, which is a good sort of middle point for very sharp edges, but they last a reasonable length of time. Um, and that's just a very precise bent piece of aluminium. Uh, and then you need a clamp for that as well. So a clamp's kind of a, it's a, it's a scissor clamp. Um, you can get them from places like Screwfix and Toolstation and, you know, those kind of hardware stores just to hold the files and uh, onto the onto the guide. Okay. Uh, then you'll need some files. So you'll need a fine file, um, I think, um, uh, which are around 20 euros, and then a, a medium diamond stone, um, which is, uh, yeah, around 15 to 20 euros again, that kind of money. You can do without the diamond, but I tend to, every other time I'll use the file and every time I will use the diamond. Because obviously every time you file the ski, you're taking away a bit of edge and therefore it's uh, it's reducing the life of the thing. Okay. So that will get your skis sharp. And then once they're sharp, they need to run fast. So you're going to need some wax. So big block of wax. Um, to begin with, unless you're doing some racing or unless the kids are doing racing, I just get a big block of all temperature wax, uh, most of the companies do them. You can tend to get sort of half a kilo for around 15 euros, that kind of that kind of money, really. Um, and that will last you probably most of the season, I would have thought. Um, oh, right. So I'm not going to use an awful lot of wax. No, not loads. No, you just dribble a little bit on each time and then iron it in. Um, if you dribble loads on, all you do is scrape it off and just throw the money on the floor. So it's not really worth using loads. Okay. And then you'll need an iron. Um, around sort of again around the 50 euro mark is where you should be looking for the iron really the ones that are sort of 20 euros 20 quid uh, tend to not be particularly uh, good quality they uh, have a lot of temperature variation which can sort of damage the waxes um, and uh, they don't last very long so again it's one of those things it's worth paying a little bit more for to get something that's going to be good and, uh, and it's going to stay with you for a while um, I'm, I'm assuming we're talking about uh, a specific waxing iron yeah so I'm we're not going to go down to not going to get one from Argos. No, people do do that. Um, I did do that when I first started servicing my <laughs> years and years and years ago when I was uh, yeah, a season air. Um, I had an old travel wax and I used a travel iron and I used that. Um, but uh, it's not very good for your skis and it's not very good for your wax. So I'd, I'd say uh, get a get a specific ski or sort of snowboard servicing iron. And then the only other thing you'll need is a scraper, which will be uh, a ludicrously expensive piece of plexiglass glass um they're uh, about four euros five euros that kind of money for a for a scraper um unless you've got snowballs and you need a big one in which case they're about 10 euros because they're quite twice as long okay and then's your basics so uh, i'm counting here one two three four five six seven eight bits of kit i was expecting more that's great i think that's probably enough really i mean there's loads more you can buy but i would say they're the essentials um okay and do you have do you do you recommend anywhere where i can purchase all this stuff from or do i need to go to so, different places um would you prefer to do it online or would you prefer to go and have a rummage um, um uh the way the pace of my life right now i'm gonna say i have to do it online okay online fairly easy you've you're in france so you've either got over your which is, uh, you can go rummage there too, but their website's great. They stock loads of stuff. Uh, I've just been flicking through their catalogue. Um, and what's that again? Au Vieux Camper, the old camper. So that's, uh, they're, they're in 
in a lot of the sort of towns in the Alps and places like that, you'll be able to find that online fairly easily. Okay. And also alpinistet.fr as well. They sell a lot of climbing kit and ski kit and that kind of thing. Um, and they stock quite a lot of it. Uh, they usually have sales on too, which is quite nice. Well, great knowledge. Okay, Simon, thank you very much for all this. This is um, super information. I'm going to go and buy this stuff. Then I'm going to phone you back and we'll do another section where you tell me how to use it. Is that all right? Yeah, of course. No problem at all. Brilliant stuff. And if anyone's in Morzine and uh, are not as stupid as me to service their own stuff and they want their stuff doing by an expert like yourself, Simon, how can they get a hold of you? Um, they can uh, just go to the website, waxoff.fr. And on there, if you click on the button, it sends me a WhatsApp message directly. And uh, we can sort out a time for me to come pick up your skis. You can have them done without even leaving your chalet. Wonderful. Cool. Thanks very much, Simon. So that was that interview. And what I'm going to do is I'm going to get all the stuff and I'm going to have a go. And next week, he's going to tell us tell me what to do with all that stuff. Okay. Um, have you ever, do you ever service your own skis? Uh, yeah. When I, was, I haven't done it since I was at university. When I was at university, you know, I was doing some racing in the, in the team there. And we all used to service our skis the, the night before a race so we were doing you know edges and waxing um you said you said tips you've got me? lots of skis how many pairs of skis have you got um five right okay wow they're not all mine i mean i've I mean essentially two of them are half skis because they're children's <laughs> okay. Uh, I've got my wife's, I've got my skis, and then I've got a really rubbish pair of skis that I go skiing with uh, the children. Well, once you're living out there in France, you're going to end up accumulating more because you get some amazing sales at the end of the uh, season. So, um... Oh, yeah, I plan to have a quiver. <laughs> right. Excellent. Does it work for skis, a quiver of yeah, skis? Well, yeah, I know yeah. it's a quiver of surfboards. Well, I think it's, uh, yeah, um, I think it is uh, for sure. So I look forward to hearing the, the next one of that. Um, I've um, I feel a bit like Dave riding at the moment, Ian, and the way I'm skiing. Do you because you're in the zone. Yeah. No, because because I go out um, once a day. I do about four runs and then I go home. <laughs> after that, that's it. Um, but speaking of Dave riding, we got you've got some. T- I'm going to stop pretending that I'm up to date with what Team GB is up to. Um, Ian, what? <laughs> What is TV, uh, well, team, team, team I mean, Dave Riding, let's just say, continuing to do extremely uh, well. He, uh, it was. A... Oh right, considering that I think it was back in episode, uh, and yeah, you said Dave Riding yeah. never even gets up to that episode again. Listen to it to check to see where you know whether it was uh, whether I said that or not. However, um, yeah, he picked up a, a, another a podium. It was an invitational event. It wasn't a World Cup event, but it's still you know a very good result. And then he picked up another top ten. Uh, so, you know, he's uh, doing very well. Charlotte Banks uh, picked up uh, a win. It was Europa Cup, which is sort of a bit like the, the championship to the premiership, if, uh, if you know your football, but it's still uh, encouraging. And then tomorrow, based on the day we're recording this, so by the time you listen to us, it's probably well underway, the, uh, the X Games uh, start in the States, and we've got um, uh, James Woods, and Izzy Atkin out there who will both be competing in the ski slope style and will both be, you know, on the hunt for, for podium places and medals. Um, how, yeah, good question. How do you watch the X Games? Because I'd always go, I always start going to look at um, watching it and then I find that um, I either have to have some insane inscription, subscription or... Um, 
It's not, not accessible other than in my country. Trying something. to Google it now. YouTube, possibly. <laughs> okay, I thought you might just know. All right, then, don't worry. Um, uh, and for the moment, yeah. I mean, they've the announced the for the World, uh, World Alpine Ski Championships, which is coming up in Sweden uh, next month. And, you know, there are going to be a few people, obviously, Dave Riding's leading the way, but um, there are going to be a few people who haven't had as much experience of those big competitions, you know, making their debut. So good experience for them. Don't suppose you've been, um, I mean, I'm not that I'm bored of your voice, Ian, but um, have you, uh, well, have you been listening to any podcasts, other podcasts? If you're talking about particularly uh, ski ones, I was really interested to see uh, in an advert that Val have an app uh, this winter and on it, they're these podcasts. You might have seen that photo in the show notes of uh, episode 28 where someone, <laughs> someone put one of our stickers next to a big poster advertising the Val podcast. But I had listened to them. And if you download that Val app, there are about four short little podcasts about the history of uh, Val And it's really, you know, I thought it gave really good background. I thought it was a great uh, development. And they're all in, in English. I presume... Couldn't work out whether or not they're in English for everyone or they'd worked out that I am, you know, British and therefore, you know, I ended up with a with an English one. But um, but anyway. Hmm. And are you meant to are you meant to listen to them no, in various points no, around that like just, um, an audio guide? They're just general yeah, their general history about um about Valdezair and the different aspects of it. And you know, I really I really enjoyed listening to them. So I'd I'd recommend that. Probably whether you, I mean obviously it makes sense if you're going to Valdezair, but if you're just interested in uh, a bit of um you know context uh, in relation to ski resorts, you know, worth worth listening to. And there's another one as well. If you're, if you're really into the ski racing and you want a, you know, a bit more detailed look uh, as to what Dave Riding and, and Charlotte Banks and uh, Laurie Taylor and going all the way through the team are actually doing, as well as you know, what's, what's happening on the international circuit, then Ed Drake, I don't know if you've heard of or if you know Ed Drake, but he, he has raced downhill for uh, Team GB. He has his own uh, podcast called The Ski Racing Podcast. So I'm glad he I'm glad he stuck that word racing in there for our good title. Uh, I can't remember if he started. I think he might have started after we did. Actually, I did have a look at that. But I've, I, you know, it's not necessarily my thing. But I've listened to uh, a couple of them. You know, it's it's very detailed about the racing, and uh, he has a guest on the show, and he's certainly very well informed on it. He actually does commentary for Eurosport, so he takes a lot of that knowledge uh, into it. Right, yeah. Let's should we move to some the old printed word? Media? Is that what you're thinking of? Um, uh, the printed yeah. word. Do you know people still read books in? Me and Ian have been reading a book. It's called War and Peace by Alex Thomas, um, and it is our current ski book club book. Um, it's taken quite yeah. a while to read because it is quite a long book. Yeah, four hundred. Well, the, the print in front of me now. Four hundred and forty-three pages. Um, I guess I got you to go first on the best value ski resort, so maybe I should go first on this one. Uh, shall I have a go? All right. Too long. <laughs> it needs go to be edited. It. Just like too too long for a start. Um, but 
you know, it brought back a lot of uh, kind of, you know, fond memories of, of ski seasons. So the, the main character in it is someone called Poppy Collins, who's working out in a thinly disguised uh, St. Anton. Uh, I don't know why the author, Alex Thomas, didn't bother to just call it St. Anton, given that it's got a... <laughs> no, not a real name either, given that it's got not a bar a real name either. in there. And um, a Moosa pub uh, and a Taps bar and all this kind of stuff. Um, yeah, it definitely feels like it's St. Anton. And, you know, it's someone who's working as a rep for a, a relatively large company. I, I decided in the end that it wasn't Crystal. She probably worked for Ski World because um, I felt that Snow Globe seemed right, to me right. to be okay. more like Ski World. And there's another company in there called Diamond Ski, which seems to be a good approximation for Crystal Ski. Yeah, and and it's all about her adventures, and they're, they're I'll um I'll go with that. Yeah, exactly. I mean, they're all the same, same when you work. And there's them. lots of um, you know those those classic kind of stories that, that that go on during ski seasons. I didn't really remember or realize it. You know, it's quite a romantic novel. Poppy falls in love with her area manager, um, and then a like a free rider, and you know. I wasn't particularly, you know, engaged by that side of things. I, I more enjoyed the uh, the stories about what goes on behind the scenes that the the guests never see. So I'm going to say, Ian, this book is probably not aimed at you um, in terms of the romantic literature involved in it. Not that I'm saying you're not romantic. Um, I kind of, for me, yeah. I agree. I mean, I wasn't particularly um, taken by the storyline. It was a nice trip down memory lane. I remember, you know, a lot of those things happening, um, uh, if not specifically to me, but, you know, hearing those stories. Um, so it was, yeah, it was a good flashback to do in the ski season. Um, it was, um, it's a complete contrast to how I'm doing it now. Um, uh, I think... He makes season air men seem uh, yeah, like there a are a couple of as well, better think? male characters in there, but yeah, I guess so. And area managers, especially. I, I mean, I wasn't an area manager, so that's fine. Um, and you know what? For me, underlying it, it kind of reinforces that there is still there's something really addictive because um, the author actually did three seasons. Unlike we don't know how many Poppy did, but you know. The, the draw at the end of the season, the sadness you feel, desire to do more um, and come back year after year, that that is there. But then there's obviously, there's still that bleak side about the yeah. ski season that is... Yeah, for sure. I mean, I think really one of the other things never done it. is like how short a ski season is. You know, it's so intense, you know, while you're there. But at one point she goes, oh, we've got seven weeks to go. And then suddenly it's three weeks to go. And you forget, oh, that feeling when there's three weeks to go and everyone kind of starts to, to panic a bit. You know, she covers... Mid-season blues, um, you know, quite well. But that end-of-season thing, I thought she caught because you know you, you have this really intense experience with all these people who who you share these incredible experiences uh, with, and then boom, suddenly, you know, most of them you're never going to see again. Yeah, totally. Like, think how many people you've done a season with, and how many you actually are still in contact with now. It's such a small number. And I think the, the end of the season, I think that was one of the reasons I stopped. Doing <laughs> yeah, could well, at some point you've got to decide anymore. whether you're going to stop or whether you're going to live out there. And look at it, Jim, you're back there again now. 
that's it. I remember there was, um, you know, they, they do those city awards um, for um, season airs um, at the end of the season. And yeah. I, one of the awards I won, won, run, won, Jesus. Um, one of the season awards I was nominated or won ah. was most likely still be doing seasons in um, 15 years time. And my response was, right. there's no way in hell I'll be doing that. Yeah, exactly. Good. And so War and Peace, uh, Alex Thomas. Uh, you know, if you've done a season... Uh, or if you're a romantic at heart, then worth a read. And don't forget, you can actually win my copy of it, which is signed um, uh, to um, someone. You can give it to someone as a secret Santa, because that's what it says in the front cover. Um, you can win that by sending us your pictures of where uh, you stick our stickers. But obviously, you've got to request the stickers first. We'll send them out. Yeah, I'm actually running the low on get this copy because I put loads of them around in the uh, in the out while I was out price. there. Although, if anyone's listening and they run a lift company and they see a ski podcast sticker, then it wasn't me. It must have been someone else. Yeah, you know that bloke. Yeah, who I'm a bit nervous podcast, to do it around here. They're gonna they're gonna say you do the ski they'll, podcast. They'll track me down. Go, yeah. No, it wasn't me who did the stickers. Uh, but yeah, we might have to get some more. They do make excellent light deflectors for the front of your car. Um, <clears throat> not true. Um, coming up um, in the next episode, where Ian will be telling us about his trip to Morocco. Um, we've got Eddie the Eagle Part 2. We're going to find out how um, to actually service your skis. I'll be reviewing the not, ski not area. Yet, got anything else, but, Ian? Um, the Morocco thing should be yeah um no not yet it's two weeks it's a long so, time but i'm sure it'll be packed full of great content again 